Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. In other words, God has chosen one megaphone of all of his strategy, one megaphone. It's the church. And what are we supposed to do? We are to be heralds of the multidimensional colors of the great wisdom of God. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davies. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, and hopefully you're a part of a local church. If we're not careful, our view of the local church could be that of a Christian buffet set for me to meet my needs, or some sort of country club that I attend. The danger here is that we view the church through the eyes of a consumer instead of the eyes of a servant. Jesus gave his life for the church. We as well are to serve with the same attitude. Today we will talk with Steve Price and begin a two-part discussion on the importance, role, and impact of the church. Hey everyone. Ben Davies, Turner Road Bible Chapel. Today, I am happy to be joined by Dr. Steve Price. Steve and Janet Price they live in Kansas City area and attend the Bible Chapel of Shawnee. Steve has been in that assembly for over 30 years with him and his wife, and he currently serves as an elder and has a passion for training faithful individuals to carry on the work of the Lord. Um, I have been a beneficiary of uh, Steve's preaching over the years, whether it's uh, seeing at a conference or just listening to him on the messages you can find recorded on the internet. Steve, it's so great to have you with us this morning. Thank you. It's great to be with you and uh, honored to have this opportunity to uh, have this conversation. It's great to have you. Well, the topic we're going to try to cover this morning as best as we can, there's really three things. We're going to be looking at the importance, role, and impact of the church. And we we want this to be a positive conversation to try to encourage you at the church you're attending to be involved and to be excited about what the Lord's doing. Uh, Steve, the first thing we're going to go over this morning, there's so much talk of what the church today is or isn't doing Uh, Could you simply break down why the church is important and then also uh, let us know what the purpose of the church is? Mm, Yeah, I tell you, those are fundamental questions, aren't they, Ben? They they really um, they really serve as the basis for a lot of our, um, how should we say, uh, church worldview. And uh, so I, I really appreciate the question. Why is the church important? Well, I, I think there's there's probably a simple answer and a complex answer. And the simple answer is this, because Christ loves the church, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, in one phrase, you know, we, we say, wow, my Savior loves this entity, and I love my Savior. So right. let me think, if I love my Savior and he loves that entity, I'm going to love what he loves because I love my Christ, you see? And, and, and quite honestly, that's why the church is so important, because God himself puts a high value on this. Um, I, I don't mean to say it this way, but it, it, it might communicate it. 
he has a high value of this target. He has high value of the people he's called out. Now you got to think about it from the the more uh, the maybe the little more complex look that Satan, when Lucifer, when he uh, tempted Adam, he's he basically stole the image bearer of the glory of God. You know what that's like, right? It's like you're stealing the crown jewels. You're stealing the, the, the affections and the loyalties of the very person made in the image of God, which we learn in Corinthians is a mirror of the glory of God. So he's, he's, yeah. he couldn't steal it from heaven, so he tried to steal what he could from earth. And, mm-hmm. and then God sets this incredible plan in motion that involves people groups and all kinds of, of twists and turns of uh, while free will is it and, and exercised. And he culminates it, uh, bringing everything into perfect focus in an imperfect world. And he says, now I'm going to carve out a people that can once again be my image bearers. And I'm going to do it in a way that they will fully display my glory and they'll be able to do it in a manner that gives them the goods to see it through. I'll give them my nature. And and that's what the church is. And so the churches are these people called out. So it's a high value target, if I could use that expression. Forgive me if it's offensive. Oh, but it's fine. a high yeah, it's a high value matter to God because it's a fulfillment, a culmination of his grand plan to reestablish the glory of God and to show the angelic hosts that he is that what Lucifer lied about uh, concerning God the Father is totally untrue. That he wasn't being evil to Eve when when he said not to eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden. That God's heart has always been good, and that diminishment of His glory would be once and for all thwarted by evidence that can stand the scrutiny of angelic beings. And that that I think is is why it's so important. It's it's really a it's really a big concept. I I think we lose sight of that. Sometimes we make the mistake of uh, separating emotions from the Bible, its stories, and sometimes from God. But when you when you look at it that that way, the way you've put it, one like Christ is is in love with us, and he's in love with the church, and mm-hmm. there's so much at stake in the world we live in that God be given the right light or be yeah. seen in the right light, and we have the privilege of. Right. Helping with that through his power. That's right. Yeah, amen. You know, the the second half of your question sort of uh, dovetails to your comment, and uh, and that's the, the purpose of the church. Now, I have to tell you that over the last 30 years, um, that question has been on my mind. And the reason why it was on my mind, because there was a day in our history of our local church that we were struggling in a terrible way. The only thing you could say about us back 30 years ago is that we were nothing, uh, nothing about us could qualify as the church of God. We were that bad. Mm-hmm. And so we had to, uh, we had to look at things from a manner of, well, what is, what is the purpose of the church for us? And so the Lord gave me a few scriptures for that. And there's one of them that I'll read to you just in, here in Ephesians. Sure. And it goes like this. Paul's talking, he says, Ephesians 3, verse 8, to me who am less than least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, notice that grace was given to a situation which was totally uh, not worthy of grace. 
and that's the theme, isn't it? That I should preach among the Gentiles. Notice that. I preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages, see that, that timeline element? Beginning of the ages was hidden in God who created all things through Christ. Now, here's the, here's the punchline. To the intent or to the purpose that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the Christian. No, it says actually by the church, which of course is made up of the Christians. In other words, God has chosen one megaphone of all of his strategy. One megaphone. It's the church. And what are we supposed to do? We are to be heralds of the multidimensional colors of the great wisdom of God. And my opening answer to the first part of this question, why is the church so important? I just alluded to some of that wisdom, some of that incredible thinking of God. And he says, now you're supposed to make it known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I would have, if I was writing this, I would have wrote, uh, might be made known by the church to the whole world. Right. But it's, it's bigger than that. He's saying the angelic hosts were witness to the coup attempt of heaven. And those angelic hosts were given a visible demonstration of creatures made lower than them, but God would give even greater attention, greater grace, greater opportunity. And that is so spectacular to the angelic eyewitness. He's saying, I'm going to use those very people, the least of those, like Paul said, to declare this magnificent story, this magnificent wisdom, this grace, this mercy, this justification when you're not justifiable, you know, and be legitimate in it. I'm going to use this church, this this called out group, and they're going to be my heralds. And I think, wow, that's he put a lot of high value on us, didn't he? <laughs> sure. And, and, and that's our purpose right there, to be the heralds to the angelic beings. Uh, I think it's brilliant, and I'm very, very grateful for God doing that. When you think of the church in that large of a scope, I I don't know if you've heard any of these conversations lately, Steve, but you have a lot of people now. We've been stuck at home for a while. I don't know if if you guys are allowed outside yet. Uh, I say that kind of in a joking way, but um, a lot of people have been seeing church on the Internet and I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know what, like I could, I could get used to this. Like this is, this has been a great way to do church. And it's like, not, not if you understand why we're here. God has bigger things for us than turning on the computer at 11 a.m. and uh, watching an hour service and turning it off. There's so much more that uh, is at stake and is important. And I think it's something we're going to have to communicate to people, you know, get get back out. And I, I think for the most part, saints are just uh, dying to get out again. But yeah, we have yeah. we have a big a big role that the Lord has put the church in, and it's important. It's great. That's right. That's right. You, you know, Ben, you, you just said something that's it's really uh, insightful. You know. We can default to convenience. And I have to admit, it is convenient, isn't it? Yes. To dial up on Zoom or go to meeting or something and just log in. I mean, you know, you can do the dishes right up until you you dial in so you can get a lot done, right? Yeah. Uh, And so we we find that convenience sometimes will dictate um, 
our uh, commitment to gathering. Uh, and that, that's the negative side of Zoom. There's a very big positive side of all this electronic discussion, and, and that's that we can maintain contact when physical presence was, um, was uh, restricted. Yes. But I think what the Lord is doing is, is he's created, you see, I, what I witnessed in the church is that we were treating going to our local churches like it was, you know, like a grocery store experience. Well, they didn't have this product. And so I went over and I like shopping over there now. Sure. And, you know, and I, and I don't think that's it. See, we, we've got one place to go for our shopping and that's the church and so and so what happens is he says now listen you're you're treating um going to church as if it was uh optional and and a matter of convenience and a matter of taste but you need to understand something it's my passion for you to be Mm -hmm. together with me physically be together with me and and so uh, what i'm going to do is i'm going to take that away for you from you for a season to make your hearts burn for that so that you would want to come together. Now, I've actually seen that in, in our Zoom calls, which we still have. You know, yep. <laughs> all these people say, can't wait to see you. We just want to yes. see you. <laughs> and, and I think the Lord's doing that. He's causing us a, a, a groundswell of passion within us for, the, for gathering together. Yeah, that, that will be, uh, you know, you look at it, maybe Satan wanted the church broken up, but the Lord's able to use this as a way to just uh, throw wood on the fire. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier is uh, the fact that you've been involved in a church when it was hard. That's one of the things that I think, especially now, is a hard sell for people. Why would you even? Why would you even spend time? Why not find a place that's established and has everything? And we're going to talk about that in a bit. But I think this next question kind of leads into that. The idea that. We're not just going to a church for ourselves, but we're we're also going for for what we expect the Lord to do there. And in in the middle of that, uh, recognizing this is not going to be an easy endeavor. In looking at a church, if if we were able to fast forward thirty years and look back on the impact our churches had, whether things were great right now or not. What would be the accomplishments that we would look for to say, we've done what Christ has asked of us? Mm, yeah. Well, uh, that's been that's another brilliant question, of course. And and, and the, my perspective to answer your question is the fact that we've been 30 years or more at our assembly. So perhaps if I may just for a minute give a little bit of history and then I sure. think it'll stage to give a great answer. I hope a great answer. Number one, back then, we were totally dysfunctional. We had all the elders had stepped down five five years prior to our coming. Um, There was no leadership and we were functioning by like a a business meeting. So all the men met and and I noticed something about our meetings at, at those business meetings. We never talked about anything spiritual. It was always about the electric bill and the lawn mowing and, you know, giving them, passing out the money. And, but we never had a prayer time and we never sought the scriptures together. We just had nothing spiritual. And quite honestly, it was evident at the assembly. It was, we had no love. And, uh, and, and I, I 
had to wrestle with this question. Now, back then, so I was in my early, uh, my late 20s. I just finished my residency. I was a young doctor starting out. And I had a great passion for the things of the Lord, still do. But here I'm in this church, and it's just like, wow, we should just kill you now. It's a, We should just, you know, take you to the vet and put you down, you know. Mm. And and I asked the Lord about that. I said, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do? Now, what did the Lord communicate to me through his word it is maybe not for everyone, but this is what the Lord communicated to me through his word. What was brought to my attention was building a wall. And the thing about building a wall is that you have to, you have to take the bricks that have been scattered on the ground and you have to put them back in their places on the wall. And it, it's really time consuming because you yeah. don't know if those stones will fit again and you got to scrape off the debris and you, you got to work with them and get them in the right position. But it'd be so much easier to start with a fresh pallet of freshly cut brick, you know? Yes. And, and the Lord was telling me, I, I want you to be a wall rebuilder, not yeah. a wall new builder. And I said, man, Lord, that's, that's going to take a lot of time and effort and frustration. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, I've been doing that all of the history of humanity. Mm. So I know what's involved with this. Look sure. at my history in Israel, and I'm asking you to do that today. Now, a guy that I was reading at the time, he's a missionary to Turkey. His name's George Bristow, and he wrote a book, The Promise of God. It's a great book, by the way, Gospel Folio Press, I think. Anyway, he's, it's sort of like a Bible survey-ish book, and and he traces the promise of God that he brings us to Nehemiah. And this is what he said. I was thinking about this and I read this at the same time. He said, if God has called you to a rebuilding ministry, make no mistake. It is one of the hardest works in all of Christendom to do because you have to pick up each brick and decide if you can use it back in the wall again. Hmm. But if God has called you to that work, don't leave it till it's done. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I said, that's it, Lord. And so that's, I, I just said, okay, you, you haven't called everybody to this piece of real estate, spiritual piece of real estate, but you've called me. And that means that I need to stay at my spiritual place of real estate until either I'm, I'm dead, you move me on, or I'm, I'm raptured to heaven. There are no other choices for me. Did you know that's exactly how the missionary is supposed to think? <laughs> I'm not leaving until you say to leave. Right. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah. And what the Lord was showing me. Was this is the kind of attitude that I need you to have for my church, where I call where I call you, Steve Price, to be. So now, fast forward thirty years, and I look back and I go, "Wow, what have you done? Mm. What have you done, oh God?" And this is what He's done. He took a loveless church to being loving, and the first way He did that is He presented us Jesus Christ, and we began to study and teach on Christ and Christology. And, and the grand plan of God. And things I mentioned in the first question were fruits of that study. And then, you know, we had minimal people and we needed evangelism. Nothing was happening. And the Lord gave us little things along the way. Kids work that grew from 10, most of them were mine, to <laughs> 80, 90 kids. Like 10 times as much. We went from having no elders to today having five elders. We went from 30 or 40 people to now about 150 people. 
And what I found is that the Lord did it all. I remember back in those days, 30 years ago, people would say, there's no love here. Then 30 years later, I heard people say, you know, they're so loving here. So what is it that we would look back and say, number one, I'd say uh, what we want to, to see developed is a healthy, passionate love for our Savior. We didn't love the Savior. We loved ourselves. I'm sorry to say that, but that's so true. And I was part of that problem. I love myself. And, and secondly, it's according to the words of the Lord Jesus, we therefore love one another like we love the Savior. It's not a substandard love. It's not a secondary love. It's not a stepchild love. It's we love the body as we love the Savior or as the, as the Savior loves the body. And that, that's, a, that's a deal breaker. That is a difference maker. Now, I think if those two things are in order, you can hear the tones of the teaching of the Lord Jesus on thing on these two things, all the law was built, right? Mm-hmm. If, if those two things are in order, there will be so much fruit, and it will be quality fruit. It won't so be let fruit. me... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going on. I'm getting all worked no, up. No, you're on a topic that's really good. We've been talking about this. How do you love somebody? So it's easy to say... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your neighbor as yourself. Put some meat on those bones. Yeah. What are some of the things that that um, practically we do that show that, that go beyond okay. saying, I okay. love you? Yeah, no, I get it. First of all, I want to see the love of my Savior. And there's a really great passage in John 13 where it says this, And he loved his own, having loved them to the end. Within three verses... This man, this Jesus, our son of God, is on his hands and knees, removing the only clothing for his dignity and drying feet of men who are only concerned about either who is going to be the greatest, how to get, Je- how to develop a conspiracy to get Jesus turned over, or to be so sleepy because their tongues were full, or to really miss the significance of the, of the communion, of the institution, of the cup and wine, and uh, misunderstand how how deep waters Jesus was going through by claiming loyalty to the end. See, those five factors, Jesus loved in the midst of those. Now, there's a lot of people in our churches today, I having been one of them, I hope not to be one of them any longer, that think only of themselves, that cannot grasp the spiritual gravity of our situations, that really don't think uh, remembering the Lord and the breaking of the bread and the cup is really as really important at all, even though the Lord said it was important. And some are, are conspirators trying to sabotage things, and some are just sleepy because their tummies are full from the dinner. Now, loving them, loving in that moment is one of the hardest things in the world, but that's how my Savior loved me. So, we've got people in our churches all over the place. They come in with, I mean, horrific problems. Sometimes they come in on many different medications. Sometimes they're fighting with their parents and they get kicked out of their homes and they're looking for places to stay. And, and, and sometimes we're, we're loving people who won't show up uh, and, and participate in, a, in anything that would deal with the church. I remember we, we did a conference for our little fledgling assembly and we had 10 people at, at the start of the conference and 30 people by the end of the conference. I was apologizing to the speaker, and, and yet that was, that was how the Lord wanted me to love them, to give them the word of God and to create a forum for them to hear God's word. 
and and that that was hard. Others they'll bite your hands when you when you try to care for them and 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 sort of speak evil of you or turn against you. And you know, a loving person, the the real test of loving that moment is going back and using those same hands that have been bloodied by the hand bites, by the bites on the hand, and still help another. I'll give you an example. Back in the day, um, I'm sorry, this is kind of emotional for me. (laughs) Back in the day, I received some difficult mail that really sort of told me I was off and wrong and that I wasn't qualified for anything. And I actually didn't think I was qualified for anything. And it was pretty hateful and and harsh. Wasn't too long after that, this uh, scenario happened where this uh, author of this letter had a family member that was hospitalized. Now, the scripture says that true and undefiled religion is one that would go visit the father and the the fatherless and the orphans and, and the sick. And so I said, Lord, do you want me to do that? I mean, after all, they've left and they're obviously mad. Do you want me to do that? I could hear all of heaven nod. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> Silence, but loud, you know. And I was scared to death. And I drove over to that hospital. And I said, Lord, I don't have a love to do this. I just don't. And you, you're going to have to give me your love. And you have to fix my emotions because they're not emoting, you know. Hmm. I walked in and the patient was in the ICU. So it's pretty serious. And I was hoping the family wouldn't be there. Guess what? The author of the letter was there. (laughs) Only person there. (laughs) And I said, okay, Lord. So I walked over and expressed my sorrow. And I said, you know, I thought I'd just come over and pray with you. And I prayed. You know, it was years later. I received a letter from the author of the original letter. And said, you know, I'm sorry. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure that my Savior has loved me in the same way a thousand times over. Hmm. And that's what I think it means to love one another. I I hope that puts some meat on those bones. It does. (laughs) It's very hard for me to talk about. It's kind of emotional for me. Turner Road, we're a smaller assembly as far as assemblies go, and um, everything's magnified with fewer people, right? The Our victories are bigger, our failures are bigger, our flaws are huge, and yes. our the good things about us are hopefully, hopefully bigger. Hopefully it works the same way in a positive way, but sometimes it's it's hard because we see each other so much, but in a sense, and I think I get that from what you're saying, it's growing in a time where it's hard or getting through those things and loving someone anyway. There's such a reward in that. Um, and the fact that what a blessing, Steve, to be talking about such a derogatory event in such a positive way today as, mm-hmm. as if it's a gift the Lord gave in a sense, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what the Lord's in the business of doing. And that's, I like, what you've said, because I, I know for us, we're talking a lot about what is it, what does it mean? We've actually had some of these conversations that, and we need to find a way to love each other more. And um, this is great. Um, um, ben, ben, may I give you another example? Sure. Uh, 
Okay, and uh, it's a, it's a, not my home assembly. It's another assembly somewhere in North America. Uh, they they had a split, right? And I was up there. I was up preaching at that assembly, and one of the the elders leaned over and he whispers in my ear, "We had a split once." <laughs> <laughs> I'm focused on what I'm going to say, and he whispers in my ear three minutes before I'm supposed to get up. And I'm going, you want to tell me about this now? You know, that's what I'm thinking. But he had a little uh, glimmer in his eye and a grin. And he goes, but we got back together. Hmm. I go, what? And then he nods his head. You see that man up there leading the songs? He'd left, but he's back. And see that man to your left? He's left, but he's back. And that over there, left, but back. He nice. said, we had a split once, but we got back together. And, you know, they, afterwards, they told me the whole story. And, 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 you know, some of it was dark, obviously. And, and then there was this confession, a contrition and confession. And it was really remarkable. So you speed up that clock. Five, four years later, I go back to that same assembly and I'm preaching there. We have a little gathering at the elders' home. And I said to the group, because it was the core group, I said, you know, I love your story. And with your permission, I've, I've communicated it across the areas that God has asked me to serve. And, and I said, I, I, I think you're the kind of story we want to retell. Yeah. They were so quiet. And then one of the men who had left and returned, he goes, he starts to cry. And he says... We never should have left. Hmm. And I'm so sorry we did. And everybody in that room, the ones that hadn't left, said, now listen, that's old history now. And we don't need to relive that because, because God has brought us back together. And we are so happy about that. Hmm. So as far as we're concerned, my brother, you never left us. Now, I think that's loving one another yeah. after the fact and giving grace to such a sensitive moment where somebody's nose could be rubbed in the dirt and they just graciously hold that that group up. My goodness. Now, that's mm. loving one another, isn't it? That's it. That's what we that need is. to be. And it's, in some senses, it feels like uh, the answers are far more simple than how complex we make them to things like this. It's Amen. plain old, plain old uh, loving people the way Jesus did. Yeah. Shifting gears slightly. Sure. Um, of course. In the assemblies today, I mean, any churches with history are going to have things that are exciting. And they're also, you know, one of the negative things about having history is we're imperfect people trying to do the Lord's work. So I think today, for assemblies, there's this struggle between looking back at what's been done and and sometimes constructively, uh, other times it's been critical, maybe too critical, maybe not. And then apart from the looking back, we spend a lot of time looking around. What are what are other churches doing? And and again, that doesn't that hasn't have to be a negative thing. And then there's the idea of looking inward, which is probably something we need to do a lot more of where we recognize our own uh, really independent responsibility as a chapel to teach the word of God, to love the Lord and to do what the spirit is leading that particular assembly to do. 
How would you say in this world where there's, it seems so much criticism or so much looking around at what could be done that other people are doing, how do we achieve a healthy balance between looking backwards at what was, looking around at what is, and looking inward at what we are so that as we're doing that, it's actually a benefit to the church, not a, not a liability. Sure. Yeah. You know, that, that's a tremendous, um, a tremendous perspective to introduce to the conversation, you know, um, is it viable and appropriate to look backward, look present and, and look inward? You know, the answer to that question is um, all three of those gazes can be turned into um, destructive weapons in the wrong hands. But all three of those gazes can be turned into tremendous tools in the right hands. And I think you can prove that biblically quite easily. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, this is on looking back. He, he tells the people, I don't want you to bring any more sacrifices. When, when you brought them, your heart's far, far from me. So he looks back and then he always, and this is a pattern with each criticism the prophets bring. He then brings them forward. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. In other words, the the looking back was always meant as a stepping stone. In the right hands, it's a tool. Right? Mm. Now, looking around is both uh, a, a weapon and a tool also. And the, the bad part of looking around and that, that number two gaze is that we begin to compare ourselves with ourselves and we uh, begin to, I don't know, how should we say, set the other person as the standard of what is good. And the answer right. to that is that's not what we're supposed to do. Paul actually says we don't compare ourselves with ourselves. But yet we do find that the Lord uses a gaze around you to cause a desire to get things in the right direction. Mm. So historically, Israel, you know, they were in um, uh, countries and they didn't understand the languages. And God used that to say, now, when you hear that the foreign language, you'll remember that you got here because of your heart's rebellion. Right. And mm. so yeah. looking around was used, was meant to be a stepping stone to draw back near. So I don't think we should look around to say, wow, we want to be like them. I think we should look around and say, Lord, we, we, we want to draw near to you. And in drawing near to you, we want the fruit that we see over there. We'd like that fruit to be here, but we want it from you. See, it's used as a stepping stone. Right. Now, this looking inward, this is a very important gaze. And the reason why I say this is because, uh, and now this is personal, when we were struggling in our assembly, a group of us just got together and to pray. I mean, it's the, it's the most uh, easiest, it's the easiest thing to do, and it's the freest thing to do. Nobody's ever going to say to you, now don't pray, you know, <laughs> of course you can pray. The elders are never going to come to you and say, oh, yeah, I might want to cut the praying down a little bit here, you know. You right. Know, they're never going to say that. And so, and so we prayed. And as we prayed, we asked God, now, we seem to be hungry, and we're not even sure what we're hungry for. You, you seem to have a message. We, we, we don't even know what that message is. And so what we did is we said, if you were to write us a letter, what would you say? 
And as we prayed about that, we prayed about weeks went by. We prayed every, it turns out every week for five years, but we prayed about that. And uh, the Lord took us to Revelation 2 through two and 3. Because he did write letters to the churches and he did say 7-7, seven, seven, right. you know. And so we decided that we should do a series, a mini-series on the seven letters to the churches. Now, there are many ways to do seven letters to the churches. The longitudinal eschatological viewpoint, um, you know, theological viewpoint. But we did it simply. We said, what if God was to write us a letter, what would it say? Now, that's an inward look. Now, clearly, two of the five were complementary, although going through various degrees of suffering. So there's things to be said there. Four, uh, five of the seven, two of the seven, excuse me, two of the seven were complementary. Five of the seven had indictable offenses, and some of them had nothing positive to say. But I have to tell you, the two that stuck to us the most was the first letter and the last letter. And the first letter is summarized this way. Do you love me like I love you? Because what looks like to me is that you have let me, you have neglected me, even in a very vibrant place, you've, ne you've neglected me and let me become prominent in your love, but not preeminent in your love. I'm one of the top five, but I'm not the top one. Hmm. And that was, oh, that riveted us because that was my life. I had God right up there, you know, God, family, wife, kids, a whole thing, right? But, yeah. but he wasn't numero uno. He was up in the top three for sure. Now, can you imagine going home to your wife tonight and saying, oh, honey, you are one of my three most important loves. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be on the couch that night, let me tell you. For, if you're lucky. If you're yeah, lucky, if you're you'll lucky, get the you'll in the house. Exactly. You know, it's it's intolerable on a human dimension, right? And how? Why would we ever say it's tolerable on a heavenly dimension? Of course, that's brought out in the prophets. Where's my honor? I'm a father. Where's my honor? You know. And so, so that was the first one. Second one. Now, this was even more startling. You have to ask. Well, what's the definition of lukewarm? Well, you know, you know, you're kind of in the middle. You're either hot or cold. But, but in the text, it actually says, "You say that you're rich and have need of nothing, but I tell you, you're a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked." You know what? You know what that means? That's the definition of lukewarm. Definition of lukewarm is not your temperature. The definition of lukewarm is thinking you're okay, but really, you are about to die. That's what it means. And that riveted us because we thought we were doing okay. And we didn't know our true, our true spiritual health. Now, that's an inward look. And that is such a healthy thing. Now, what's it supposed to do? Make us go around all the time wallowing in our sin? Of course not. Sure. The, every time God brings sin to his people in the, all of the Bible, it's always meant to bring brokenness, contrition, and restoration. So much is this important to God. He says, now you need to know something. I love the broken and contrite in heart. I have heavenly celestial bodies as my living room furniture. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. But I'll tell you, the one place I love to be, the one place that I think is the better place than anywhere else that I can live, that I could use as heavenly furniture, it's a broken heart. And if you could just give me your broken heart, a heart that trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, then I will be, I will make you my home. Now that hit us between the eyes. 
that hit us. But I tell you, back then, that caused several series. The Revelation Church series, it caused a series on brokenness. Again, all these are, are personal for me because this is what God was teaching me. And that inward look was vital, not to stay dumbed down, but to rejoice in his forgiveness, rejoice in his uh, restoration, rejoice in newfounded fellowship. Mm. That inward look is vital. Thanks for listening to the TRBC podcast. Turner Bible Chapel is located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. You can find us online at trbc.ca. We hope that this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ.